Good afternoon, and welcome to Calvary's Way, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. Calvary's Way, recorded live at Calvary Chapel, is a Bible study taught by Pastor Gib Allen. Today, in our final study of Daniel, we come to chapter 12, verse 2, where we are studying a vision given to Daniel about the resurrection of the dead and eternal life. Once again, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Verse 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now in the Bible, the word sleeps speaks of death. And like sleep, death is a temporary thing. It means that the body ceases activity for a while, but will be raised again. It does not mean that the soul loses consciousness. It does not mean that there is annihilation, as some groups teach. The Bible very clearly teaches that at the moment of our death, our spirit, our soul, either goes to be with the Lord or goes to be separated from the Lord. The Bible is clear that we do not sleep spiritually or soulfully. Only our bodies cease for a while. Now, none of us are going to live in this body here on earth forever. I mean, these bodies are temporary, and they get old, and they get sick, and they wear out, and they stop. And we die. I mean, you can exercise. You can eat properly. You can tuck it, lift it, move it, or groove it. But the most that you can do is just add a few years. But you see, death is not the end. Our souls live on. And even one day, there will be a resurrection of our physical bodies. He says the many who are dead, temporarily in a state of inactivity in the dust of the earth, will awake. Verse 2 says, And many of those who sleep, in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, the Bible never teaches universalism. That is the doctrine that one day everyone is going to be saved. Universalism teaches that sometime in the future, God is going to change his mind, and he's going to say, I know what I said, but hey, I'm a God of mercy, so everybody can come into heaven. No, throughout the Bible, we are taught that there are two and only two eternal destinies. The Bible calls it heaven and hell. Daniel says some will be resurrected to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. First of all, some will be resurrected to everlasting life. And in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 42, it talks about how this is going to be done. I just want to read you a couple of verses. It says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. And in verse 51, it says, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. When the trumpet sounds, there's going to be some commotion going on in the graveyard. Every born-again child of God will be coming up out of that grave, and when they do, they're going to have a brand new body, a glorified body, and we will be raised to everlasting life. Some will be resurrected to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. After the millennial reign of Jesus, we are told in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, that there is going to be a great white throne judgment. We are told that death and hell will give up their dead, and there is going to be a resurrection of the damned, resurrection unto everlasting contempt and to shame. Now think about that. That is an awesome thought this morning. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, 
I have a solemn word for you today. You know, there are some people who think that when we die, it's just going to be like a dog, just like an animal. I mean, it'll be all over and they'll just throw us out there. No, it's not all over. Because the Bible says if you die in that lost condition, one of these days you're going to be raised in that lost condition. It will be a resurrection to shame and everlasting contempt, and Jesus called it a resurrection of damnation. You know, it's interesting that Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else in the Bible, and that's because he loves us so much that he wants us to know the truth. Some will be resurrected to everlasting life. Some will be resurrected to shame and everlasting contempt. Then verse 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who are wise. Are you a wise person? I mean, the world has all kinds of standards for wisdom. I mean, this world has its categories to determine who people are who are wise. I mean, we have IQ tests, and a person who is smart, he has a real high IQ. The world awards its accolades to those who are wise and to those who have wisdom or have knowledge or the acquisition of facts. We think the wise one is the one who gets ahead here on this earth, who gets ahead in the stock market, and who gets ahead in business. We think the smart one is the one who has it all figured out down here. But God says the wisdom of this world is foolishness. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have not come to the beginning of knowledge. Because the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I mean, you may not be the smartest person who ever walked on this earth, but if you are smart enough to know that you are a sinner and smart enough to know that Jesus died on a cross for you and smart enough to repent of your sins and accept him as your Savior, then you've got enough smarts about you to do the most intelligent thing that anyone could ever do. And that is the wisest thing you will ever do to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, who are the stars in our modern culture? I mean, you can go out in the street and ask that question, and you'll hear names of people who are movie stars and rock stars and sports stars and the people who are pictured on People magazine and those who walk the red carpet at the Academy Awards. But you know, the superstars of this world flicker very quickly and they fade. I was thinking this week, when I graduated from college, the superstars that we had then aren't heard of anymore. They're all gone. They're off the scene. They were just there for a flickering moment and now they're gone forever. This world's stars are like shooting stars. If you want to shine as bright as the firmament, as the stars forever, turn many to righteousness. Be a soul winner. Bring somebody to Jesus. Soul winners are God's stars in this world. If you want to do something that will last for a year, then plant a flower. If you want to plant something that will last a lifetime, then plant a tree. But if you want to do something that will last forever and ever, plant the gospel in a sinner's heart. When you lead a soul to the Lord Jesus Christ, that is an experience that will last forever and ever. I recently read a story about a lady named Edith Burns. She was a wonderful Christian widow who lived in San Antonio, Texas. She was the patient of a Christian doctor named Will Phillips, and he's the one who tells this story. 
Edith was one of his favorite patients. One morning he went to his office with a heavy heart, and it was because of Edith Burns. When he walked into the waiting room, there she sat with her big black Bible in her lap, and she was earnestly talking to a young mother that was sitting beside her. And Dr. Phillips knew why Edith was there and what she was doing. You see, Edith Burns had a habit of introducing herself this way. Hello, my name is Edith Burns. Do you believe in Easter? And then she would explain the meaning of Easter, and many times people would accept Christ. In fact, several months earlier, Edith had met Dr. Phillips' nurse, whose name was Beverly. As Beverly was taking her blood pressure, Edith began by saying, My name is Edith Burns. Do you believe in Easter? And she said, Why, yes, I do. She said, Well, what do you believe about Easter? She said, Well, I believe that we should hunt for eggs, and I believe in going to church on that day and dressing up. And that allowed Edith to share with Beverly about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. And as a result, Beverly became a Christian. Well, on this morning, when Edith entered the examination room, she looked at Dr. Phillips and she knew that something was wrong. She said, Dr. Will, why are you so sad? Aren't you reading your Bible? Aren't you praying? And he said, now, Edith, I'm the doctor and you are the patient. And with a heavy heart... He said, your lab report just came back, and it says that you have an aggressive form of cancer. And Edith, you're not going to be able to live very long. And Edith said, why, Will Phillips, shame on you. Why are you so sad? Do you think that God makes mistakes? You have just told me I'm going to see my precious Lord Jesus, my husband, and my friends. You have just told me that I'm going to celebrate Easter forever, and here you are having difficulty giving me my ticket. Well, Dr. Phillips thought to himself, what a magnificent woman is this Edith Burns. Well, in a few months, it was obvious that the chemotherapy was not keeping up with the spread of cancer. And so they had to take Edith to the hospital. Well, she was there. She just continued to meet the staff and the patients by saying, my name is Edith Burns. Do you believe in Easter? And many of her fellow patients accepted Christ. She soon became known as Edith Easter on that floor. Everyone seemed to be inspired by Edith's faith, except for a woman by the name of Phyllis Cross. She was the head nurse. And she made it plain that she wanted nothing to do with Edith because she was nothing but a religious nut. So this woman, Phyllis, had been a nurse in an army hospital. She had seen it all and she had heard it all. I mean, she was the original G.I. Jane. And she had been married three times. She was hard and cold and she did everything by the book. Well, one morning, the two nurses who were to attend to Edith were sick. She needed a shot, and so Phyllis Cross had to go in there and give her the shot. And when she walked in, Edith had a big smile on her face, and she said, Phyllis, she said, I just want you to know that God loves you, and I love you, and I've been praying for you. And Phyllis Cross said, well, you can quit praying for me, you religious nut. It won't work, and I am not interested. Edith said, well, I will pray for you, and I have asked God not to let me go home until you come into his family. Well, Phyllis said, well, then you will never die because that will never happen. And she walked out of the room. Every day, Phyllis Cross would walk into the room and Edith would say, God loves you, Phyllis, and I love you, and I just want you to know that I'm praying for you. Well, after working with Edith for several days, Phyllis finally asked her, she said, Edith, she said, you have asked everyone here the question, do you believe in Easter? But you never asked me that question. Edith said, Phyllis, she said, I wanted to many times, but God told me to wait until you asked. And now that you have asked, and she pulled out her Bible and shared with Phyllis the Easter story of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Edith said, Phyllis, do you believe in Easter? 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ is alive and that he wants to live in your heart? And Phyllis said, oh, I want to believe that with all my heart. I want Jesus in my life. And so right there, Phyllis prayed and invited Jesus into her heart. Two days later, Phyllis came in and Edith said, do you know what day it is? Phyllis said, yes, of course I do. It is Good Friday. And Edith said, oh, no, for you, every day is Easter. Then she said, happy Easter to her. Well, two days later on Easter, Phyllis Cross came into work and did some of her duties. Then she went down to the flower shop, got some Easter lilies because she wanted to take them to Edith and wish her a happy Easter. And when she walked into Edith's room, Edith was in bed. That big black Bible was on her lap. And her hands were in that Bible. And there was a sweet smile on her face. And when Phyllis Cross went to pick up Edith's hand, she realized that she was dead. Her left hand was on John 14:1. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Her right hand was on Revelation 21, 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. And there should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And Phyllis took one look at that dead body, and then she lifted her face toward heaven. And with tears streaming down her face, she said, Happy Easter, Edith. Happy Easter. And then Phyllis did a very interesting thing. She left Edith's body and she walked out of the room and over to a table where two student nurses were sitting. And she sat down and she said, My name is Phyllis Cross. Do you girls believe in Easter? Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Well, verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. He's not saying to seal it up to keep it secret, because if it were a secret, then we would not know it today. But he was saying to preserve it, to preserve this truth for others, to help them to know and to understand. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And so Daniel is told that we can expect an improvement in transportation and an explosion in information. Isaac Newton is often called the father of modern physics. He was a committed Christian and perhaps the first scientist to see God's hand in the orderly design of the universe. Harold Williamton writes that in 1680, Sir Isaac Newton read these words in Daniel that we are reading, and he said, and I quote, personally, I cannot help but believe that these words refer to the end times. Men will travel from country to country in an unprecedented manner. There may be some inventions which will enable people to travel much more quickly than they do now." End quote. Sir Isaac Newton went on to suggest that this speed might exceed 50 miles per hour. Well, some years after that, the French atheist Voltaire read these words of Isaac Newton, and he scoffed at them, and this is what he said, and I quote, See what a fool Christianity makes of an otherwise brilliant man? Here a scientist like Newton actually writes that men may travel at the rate of 40 or 50 miles per hour. Has he forgotten that if a man would travel at this rate, he would be suffocated? His heart would stand still. End quote. And as you and I know, today's space shuttle astronauts travel at speeds in excess 
of 18,000 miles per hour. Daniel was right, and Isaac Newton was on the right track in understanding what Daniel was saying. For in Daniel's time, up until just over a hundred years ago, the fastest that a man could travel was on horseback, a top speed of 30 miles per hour, and that was just for short bursts only. During the past 150 years, we've witnessed the advent of the train, and the automobile, and the jet, and the spacecraft. And today you can fly from New York City to Paris in three hours. But what about the information explosion? Just as the Industrial Age revolutionized the world, the current information age is creating changes faster than we can imagine. Today, for instance, a set of encyclopedias that weighs about 75 pounds and takes up an entire bookcase fits on a CD that weighs just a few grams. Never before has so much information been made available to so many people. I mean, you can just go out on the Internet today and type in any topic, and you can get more than a 1,000 links to that particular topic. Today, people don't even need a desktop or a laptop to access cyber information. Now they get it on a Palm Pilot or its equivalent, which is much smaller than the Bible that you have in your lap. And soon, it is going to be even smaller than a wristwatch. The amount of information and knowledge is increasing exponentially. That means that it's like a number squared rather than a number multiplied. Someone observed that from the time that Jesus died until the year 1700, knowledge doubled. It took 1700 years. But then by 1900, after only 200 years, knowledge doubled again. By 1950, technological information had doubled again in only 50 years. Then by 1970, there was another doubling, 20 years, until now. It is doubling every two years now, and if some of the predictions of quantum physics come true, it could double in one day sometime in the near future. Now, don't let that scare you. It just tells you that the Bible is true and that we are truly in the last days. Verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. So besides the original angel who gave this prophecy to Daniel, two more angels appear, possibly to keep the concept established in Scripture of having two or more witnesses to establish a fact. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and a half a time. A time means a year. Times, plural, means two years. Half a time means half a year. This is the prophetic language that we've seen before, which means three and a half years. He is saying that for three and a half years, there's going to be a terrible time of terror for the people of Israel. This three and a half year period has been mentioned many times in our studies in both Daniel and in Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, it is also referred to as 42 months or 1,260 days. That is midway through the tribulation period. The tribulation period begins after the rapture of the church, lasts for seven years. There will be a false peace with Israel for the first three and a half years. The temple will be rebuilt. 
They will start the sacrifices again. They will think it is a wonderful world that we live in. And then the Antichrist will stop the daily sacrifices. He will set up an image of himself in the temple and demand that he be worshipped as God. We saw the details of this in Daniel chapter 9. He goes on, And when the power of the holy people, that is Israel, has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. The people of Israel will seem completely crushed as these things come to an end. But at that time, the Messiah, upon whom they have now put their trust in, when he returns, he will rescue them. Verse 8, Daniel says, Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel. Now, the command to go your way is literally just to go, but it is not meant physically. The angel is telling Daniel to make a mental departure from his questioning. More details would be revealed later. It goes on, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. So Daniel must make a mental departure from his questioning because the revealing of these things will not come till the time of the end. And until then, there is a sense in which these prophecies are closed and they are sealed. You and I are living in a time when many of the things previously unknown to Daniel have been revealed as end times are unfolding before our very eyes. But I think that there is something else that is meant by this statement. Let's turn now to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. Jesus makes reference to the prophecy of Daniel. And by the way, that's what gives tremendous validity and accuracy to the book of Daniel, the Lord Jesus himself. Verse 15, Matthew 24 and verse 15. Jesus says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, did you notice that I skipped the parenthesis in verse 15? Now, let's go back and read that. This was given directly to the Jewish people by the Lord Jesus, and right in the middle of his reference to the prophecy of Daniel, he says to the people, Whoever reads... Let him understand. What that indicates is, is that during this great tribulation time, during these very, very difficult times, the Jewish people are going to go once again to the book of Daniel, and they are going to read again the prophecies of the book of Daniel. But when they read them that time, they are going to understand them as they have never understood them before. God, by means of the unsealing of Daniel to the Jewish people in that day, is going to open their eyes, and they are going to make the most startling discovery that they have ever made. They are going to discover that the very one that they rejected and nailed to the cross was the Messiah, was their Messiah. And they will look upon him at that time whom they have pierced, and they will mourn and weep because of him, and the nation of Israel will turn to their Messiah. So one of these days, the things that were sealed by Daniel's time will be unsealed, and the Jewish people will understand. Well, let's go back to Daniel 12. In verse 10, it says, Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. As for Daniel's questioning regarding the outcome of these events, the angel simply tells him that the people will be who they will be. The wise will be purified by the tribulation. The wicked will continue to be ignorant. It is really amazing to watch the two reactions that people have when God's judgment falls. Some people repent, while others blaspheme. Some will allow their hearts to be broken. Others' hearts are hardened. Now, in verses 11 and 12, he gives some numbers that are found nowhere else in the Bible. 
And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Now that's interesting. That is an extra 30 days from 1,260. So what's going to happen during that time? Well, here's the profound answer. I don't know. And nobody knows. I mean, we can speculate. And a lot of people do. I mean, it could be that this is when the nations will be judged. In Matthew chapter 25, the nations are gathered before God, and he separates them as one would separate the sheep from the goats. This is the judgment of the nation, judged for how they treated the nation of Israel. I mean, it could be that this is what is happening during those 30 days, but we don't know. Now, I believe that this will not really make any sense until this happens during the Great Tribulation, and only then will God's faithful followers read this verse and understand what it means. The same is true for verse 12. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days, which means you have three and a half prophetic years plus 75 days, 30 and 45 extra days. Again, the question, what is going to happen during that time? Again, the answer is, I don't know, and nobody knows. God gave these two verses to Daniel for a reason, though, and it could be that in the future, when God's people are under this terrible persecution, that they will read those two verses and they will gain great encouragement and strength that they will be able to match those words with what the Antichrist has done, and they will be able to encourage each other by saying, just 30 more days or just 45 more days, hang in there and be faithful. But for us, there's no way to know what these mean. And it doesn't bother me that I don't know. I don't care. I haven't lost any sleep over it at all. The things of the Bible that I don't understand, I deal with on the basis of Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things, it says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us. There's enough in the Bible that we can understand for us not to get all hung up on the things that we don't understand. I don't think I've ever gotten much past John 3:16. to tell you the truth. I mean, that's deep enough water for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, that's deep enough for me. That will get you all the way out of hell and all the way to heaven. That's all you need. Well, now in verse 13, God gives a personal word to old Daniel. Picture this faithful old saint of God, probably in his mid-90s at this time, still on fire for God, still praying and serving the Lord. Here is God's final truth to Daniel in verse 13. But you, go your way till the end, for you shall rest, that is, you shall die and will arise, that is, you'll be resurrected to your inheritance at the end of the days. Now, we have no way of knowing when Daniel passed away. This we do know. He lived his final days with the great assurance that God promised him that he would raise from the dead and that he would have his inheritance. Now, let me ask you a question. How much longer do you have to live? You cannot answer that question. But you should be able to answer the next question. Will you live the rest of your life with the assurance that when you die, you will spend eternity in heaven with Jesus? We hope you have enjoyed today's edition of Calvary's Way with Gib Allen. Thanks again for listening, and we do hope you will join us again tomorrow as Pastor Gib teaches and we learn to walk Calvary's Way.